0: The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. It is a very snowy Friday. And uh, I'm going to try and make this particular edition of the podcast as long as possible because Deb Fitzgerald is joining me and she's got a long drive across the county, down County I to Bayshore Drive, where I'm sure the county's plows are not going to hit those roads right away. So I'm just going to linger on this for quite a while here. I
1: really appreciate that. (laughs) Actually, they get Bayshore Drive pretty quickly. Probably not today because no school today. Yeah. So they probably won't get it today, but normally we're on a bus route and so they get Bayshore Drive. Crossing the county is the tricky part. Yeah, cause like, it's all
0: open fields and right. the wind is whipping across them. Yeah. Whether it's, it's a beautiful the- route to take. If you for those out there, if you're ever driving and you need to get to Bailey's Harbor, like go up to Carlsville and then take the back roads over, you're almost guaranteed to get lost and the residents there are going to get mad at me because like nobody drives down those roads unless <laughs> they live there. So you're going to ruin their roads, but it is actually a really beautiful little farm country in the middle of the county there.
1: It is, and it's it's got a great cresting hill on County Road I. You have this beautiful viewscape, like waterscape, and you can see clouds. And, I mean, it's really quite, quite beautiful, but it is really treacherous in the snow. <laughs> yeah, so. so, County Road E, County E, like any yeah. way you get across, I actually find E a little bit easier because it's got all these twists and turns in trees. So, you find that easier? I do. For some reason, that is always plowed better than County Road E. Eat. Oh,
0: maybe because they assume it's going to be
1: worse. I don't know. So that is my, that is my cheat sheet way of getting across the county when the conditions are really bad.
0: So here's a question for you, and and you don't live up north, but you used to live in Egg Harbor in your first Door County tour. Yes. And um, so when if it's snowy and treacherous, I'll take 42, even though it's longer. I live in Sister Bay, and 42 takes you through every town, so you have all the slowdowns. And a clear day, like normal conditions, it's usually faster to take 57. Although I think most people would do this. I think a lot of people who've lived up here a long time think of it the same way as me. Is That decision is made as you approach the Mill Supper Club. And if it's a red light, you automatically turn right. If it's a green light, you might consider going straight on 42. So that's like the decision-making point as you get there. If as, you're going north. If you're going north. Yeah. And then... If you're going like past Agarbor and Bailey's Harbor. And then on a snowy day like this, though. So you said you like the the curvy road more. Yes. I will always take 42 if it's treacherous snow just because 57 has a lot more hills and turns and and twists. So in my mind, I don't know if I'm accurate on this. It seems like it's like harder. Maybe there's data on like how more accidents in the snow on 42 or 57.
1: I can say that I... uh PTSD from having lived in South Dakota and Minnesota, where blizzards are unlike blizzards here because there's not a single tree to stop it. So if you were taking 42, you're going to hit more of that open area. And if the snow is flying with 50 mile per hour winds, that is the hardest part. Like the snow coming down is not the big deal. It's the wind whipping it up. I have been stuck on the side of the road in a four wheel drive truck inching forward only by rolling down my window and trying to look at the yellow line. Well, here, you can't even do that because they don't really plow I mean, they plowed really well in South Dakota, actually, because really? it was so bad. I mean, yeah. but here you can't really do that. Like there's no line to see or anything. So it is just a blur of white on 42 or those open areas. If you're on 57, then at least the trees are blocking some of it and it's not as you're treacherous.
0: Right. You get north of the mill on 42 and there's a lot of open fields to the west, absolutely. Is where the storms are coming from. So that's where it blows in from. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I Almost was, the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all the way up to Egg Harbor. And I was driving that the other day with my dad. They were they had put up some of the snow fences that they put in those fields. And I'm thinking there's maybe somebody thought of this. Why aren't they just planting like a row of low hanging, like low bushes, like six foot tall bushes under the power line so they don't have to put those fences up every year?
1: I don't know. I kind of like the way the look of the fences as yeah. opposed to trees. Why would you want trees over fences?
0: No, I just mean like the in, orange in the, fences in the ditch. The orange I, fences look I, fantastic. I want trees. Everywhere. I mean,
1: they look wonderful. <laughs> Those plastic orange yeah. fences, miles. You're not getting my irony I, I here. I'm slowly Is that-
0: around. I, I'm just assuming you're arguing with me, Deb. Yeah. just my meter. That's
1: true, right? <laughs> <laughs> if yes, that that's a really good assumption, actually. To me. <laughs>
0: So if you're wondering what our dynamic is here in the office. So now that I've dragged us on an extra five minutes for you to drive home. It is 1154 on Friday as we record this. By the time you're listening to this, the storm has probably locked you inside your house because this storm looks like it's actually coming, unlike the one on Tuesday that canceled school preemptively. And left every parent in the county angry for <laughs> having to figure out childcare. Well, at least this parent was angry. Sure. But this time around, they actually kept him in school at least for half the day. But I'm going to have to run and pick up my kids soon. So, yes, on to this week's topics. Okay. A couple of quick ones. First off, we're going to start with the town of Gibraltar, mm-hmm. which instituted a transportation utility fee. Yes. And now has taken it off the table. What's going on?
1: And not everybody was very happy about that. Even though they have been talking about this and and revoking this, they had put this in place. It was raising $400,000 a year for them to pay for their roads. Then the Wisconsin Supreme Court struck down another utility ordinance like this. It's basically an ordinance where you charge people for using the roads, and it charges everybody, all nonprofits, all residents, everybody the same So the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, no, that wasn't legal. The town of Buchanan then had to revoke theirs. And so Gibraltar was watching that and they said, you know what? We don't want to risk getting lawsuits. We're going to have to revoke this. Well, they wanted to increase their levy in order to be able to recapture that $400,000. But residents did not vote in favor of that. And I think that they didn't realize that that meant that the traffic utility fee was, it was going to go away. And so they would not have that additional money. So they did revoke it at their town meeting this month in January. And not a lot of people were happy about that, even though they said they were going to be doing it. What are people
0: not happy about?
1: They liked the equitable distribution of tax collection if that makes sense. So everybody, nonprofits, for instance, right now, Peninsula State Park, Gibraltar School District, they're not paying for roads Peninsula School of Art. Peninsula School of Art, nonprofit organizations. So the traffic utility fee did charge all of those people, all of those different entities. So residents really kind of likes that idea that If, for instance, you're a Peninsula State Park and you're bringing a million people into the town, you're probably the biggest user of the roads or the biggest cause of the use of the roads. Mm. And yet they're not actually paying because they don't pay property taxes, which is the tax that does fund roads.
0: Yeah. So like four years ago, when this first got on the docket or three years ago, and and at the time I was filling in covering the town of Gibraltar.
1: 2022. And when this came
0: in... I was like, well, do any of the nonprofits know about this? Because I think it was like something like twenty or thirty thousand a year for the Peninsula School of Art or much more for the school district, a lot for State Park. And I'm like, I mean, I'm on a nonprofit board. If you suddenly throw a five thousand dollar extra bill, like a lot of times that like flips your planning. Like that's like, oh crap, we need to find that. You make that a ten or twenty or thirty, or in this case of a school district, a hundred thousand dollars, like That's a teacher, right? So the flip side of that is a nonprofit's going, this suddenly changes our dynamic. But like you said, they use the roads, they draw those people. Gibraltar School, the largest employer in Northern Door. Yeah. So that's a lot of traffic on the roads that they're putting there.
1: Absolutely. And they negotiated (laughs) the fee with Peninsula State Park. Interestingly enough, there really wasn't much outcry from any of the nonprofit organizations. And I believe, and this is going back a couple of years now, but I want to say that a few of them were actively supportive, that they mm. wanted to pay their share of that, or they didn't have a problem doing that. Okay. But that was a couple of years ago. I do know for certain, because I, I know I picked up right at that point from yeah. you, and there was not a lot of controversy surrounding the implementation. There were a few people, there were a few residents who were not at all happy with it. But I think that... It was pretty mild in terms of protesting something a town is doing.
0: And then one board member, Tom Birmingham, ran on the platform of pulling this back. Yes. So is he the, the driving force?
1: Could be. Okay. But Steve Soames, who is the chair, he's the person who I spoke with at length about this, and he was pretty adamant, too. He never supported it.
0: Yeah, How does this affect the town then going forward? I'm guessing they probably had already budgeted to use that money on things.
1: They did, and they already have a street project that they were going to be funding with this. When I spoke with Steve last month, he said that he thought that maybe they would just collect the first payment, so they would collect twice a year to make up that $400,000, and maybe they would revoke the ordinance after they collected the first one or revoke it with that provision in there so they could recapture some of the money they've already committed to a road project, but they didn't do that. And so now they will have to borrow money in order to be able to pay for that.
0: And it goes back to that same thing we've talked about several times. Towns strapped in by the levy caps borrow to get around the levy caps.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's what the residents really have forced this particular town to do. They didn't want to risk having the traffic utility fee on the books anymore. So they revoke that. They made that very clear that that was not going to be an option to fund roads. So the levy cap exists so that towns have to go to the residents if they want to go above that. And so they go to the town and the town says no.
0: How real is the town's concern that they would be in legal hot water? I don't know.
1: The Wisconsin Supreme Court decision doesn't have the same kind of weight as the Supreme Court of the United States, for instance. Mm. Um, but it does definitely carry precedent. And if somebody were to take out a lawsuit or sue the town overcharging this utility fee, then that could, I mean, that of course, would be the precedent for that. Now, I'm not an attorney, so an attorney might say something entirely differently, but it's hard to ascertain legal risk like that. Yeah, But- Their attorney had told them that they thought that they were okay the way it was written. But I'm thinking that they probably received some other legal advice about that. Mm.
0: I know the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is the one that pushed the case in Buchanan. And I wonder if that's also the same firm that sued Gibraltar and won regarding the food truck controversy a couple of years ago. So I wonder if they're maybe just not wanting to go to battle
1: <laughs> with, wow, the, do with they, the
0: Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty again.
1: Is that all they do?
0: They go and look for cases like this that are kind of constitutional or legislative type cases like
1: oh, this. Interesting.
0: Uh, they are also the the law firm that has said that they will bring a case challenging the alcohol bill, which we talked about in the podcast oh, uh, a week sure. or two ago. Yeah. They look for these opportunities and they've been successful, at least in those two instances. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Next up after a short break is the ongoing turnover in the business class in Door County. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee Counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. All right, welcome back. We have as seems to be like constant nowadays. 10 years ago, things would sit on the market forever. Now, it seems like businesses you don't even know on the market are flipping rapidly,
1: especially the high visibility businesses. Yeah. There are some that are still quietly on the market for a long time, like Florian 2. Yeah. Which is one of those businesses that was on the market for a really long time, just not out there, out there on the market.
0: Florian too, the longtime supper club here in Bayles Harbor it used to be a hotel, been in the Kuterski family for something like 70 years, 60 yeah, years. Yeah,
1: many generations.
0: And that's been for sale. And I think a lot of people wondering uh, what's going to happen with that property, if it actually does sell at some point, it's on the water, beautiful spot in the middle of the town, knee jerk fear is, oh, well, someone's going to put condos there. Doesn't make sense to have a supper club there, but that's not what's going to happen.
1: So their children, the Kraturskis, their children are going to be taking it over and turning it into an event venue. Shane Kraturski and his wife, Maddie. So Shane is actually the son of Jerry and Mindy. So Jerry and Joe are twins. They own Florian's Joe and his wife, Tina, Jerry and Mindy. And so Shane and his wife are going to be taking it over and turning it into an event center. And they live in Oregon. (laughs) So that's really very interesting how this youngest generation of a longtime family up here can operate. Like that wouldn't even have been a consideration even 20 years ago.
0: No, not at all. I talked to Shane briefly. I was on vacation last week and he called just to say that this was coming down and Craig Serrett wrote the story for us in this week's Pulse. But I had a brief conversation and he said they spend time up here in the summer and essentially, you know, the Florian has been a seasonal supper club for years and years and years. And when you're a seasonal business, that means you have to restaff every season and they have some long time people, but like, even if you have your core group of 10 to run a restaurant, you need an additional 20 or 30 or 40, depending on how many and how busy you are. So revamping that every year is really hard, especially if you're trying to keep consistency. And I don't know all the details, of exactly how it's going to play out next summer, but, you know, turning it into a wedding and event venue where it will maintain, what he said is we're not looking to change the bones of the building all that much. So it'll still be the Florian. It's still going to be a public place. They're going to be looking for opportunities to bring people into that space and keep it, the main thing was just keeping it in the family. Mm -hmm. So really cool that they're trying to be inventive about saving this old family thing and this kind of centerpiece of a community, but also transforming it.
1: Yeah. Florian too is always that weird kind of property because it's beautiful. It yeah. is It is absolutely a gorgeous location right on the water, but it kind of sits back, and because it's only open seasonally, then it's not something like name a really popular like Sister Bay Bowl or Nightingale. Yeah, right. Like
0: it's not top of mind all the time yes. because it's not always open. It,
1: right, but it's such a cool place on the inside with that sunken bar area. I mean, it's really old-timey. I feel kind like of it, supper club.
0: It's got a Door County hint of like 1960 Las Vegas, you know, oh, like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of the
0: brass rails and kind yeah. of funky raised seating area over here right. where you can go like, well, the Door County mobsters sit up there and <laughs> hold court, you know, like or, or play cards and decide who lives and who dies. But uh, water
1: views everywhere, no matter yeah. where you look. I mean, it's just really stunning. So somebody lost an opportunity there, but but it's great that it's yeah, staying I mean, in the family.
0: Looking forward to what they can do with it. I always like when you see something like that, like a, the next generation, find a way to make it work. The ox stays with the parents. The blue ox is also owned by the Kwiatkowski family across the street and that'll stay there operating as a blue ox, another like seasonal bar. Used to be open in the winter. Mm. When I spent, you know, some lonely winter nights oh, <laughs> drinking, at <the> blue ox. <laughs> drinking away a winter day. But what else we got? We got
1: the wild tomato. So that, that a big deal? I don't know.
0: Is it, do people know what the wild tomato is?
1: <laughs> I, they they may. So that was not on the market for very long, no. and it was a you know high priced property because it came with a lot, two locations, one in Fish Creek, one in Sister Bay, all the recipes, all the the frozen business every asset that Wild Tomato Company had, so. A
0: somewhat recognizable brand. I mean, I guess maybe if you really looked hard in Door County, you'd know that. (laughs) You would
1: find it somewhere.
0: Yeah. I did get a chance to talk to Matthew and Carla Sigorak, who are the people who bought that. And I asked them, quite frankly, I'm like, a business like this goes on the market and it goes listed for 8.2 million. It's a classic Door County reaction. Everyone goes, who the heck would ever pay that? (laughs) And the example I was thinking of is when like the Whistling Swan restaurant opened, and it had first time I think I saw like a $40 entree. And I remember sitting around the bar at Husby's and everyone going, who the heck is going to pay $40 for dinner? It turns out there's a lot. Yeah, right? there were. It's our classic. And
1: to eat elk. I remember when they <laughs> opened. I was like, they're offering elk. I'm going to go. I don't care if I have to save. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at that time, I did.
0: Well, yeah, especially. Right? But, you know, that's a classic case of us maybe undervaluing. Door County, even. Mm. And so the sale price was, I think, it's like 7.5. 7.5, yeah. And the Segorak said they, they saw it as an opportunity to become more vested in the community and they want to keep it what it is. They're not looking to transform this into something else. They were scared that maybe becoming condos in that Sister Bay location or somebody scrapping the restaurant if they bought it because restaurants are not the easiest things to run, easiest places to make money and pay the bills. It's a lot easier to turn something into real estate. They have young kids at Gibraltar school. They live in Fish Creek and they value that restaurant being there and they think there's room to grow it.
1: So I wonder about that. Now you, from your experience, you owned Husby's, you and your brother. Mm -hmm. And so here is a couple. They've never owned restaurant properties before, right? And never run a restaurant. So I'm just curious, like what kinds of things will they encounter in terms of how difficult it is to run a business like that? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The list is too long. All right. I wanted to get out of here. Uh, (laughs)
0: I'll try and do it as quickly as possible. I mean, restaurants, I love the people in restaurants. One of the things I hate most when I hear people talk about it, and this happens at public meetings all the time. They're like, well, we got to get them real jobs. These like menial jobs or these yada yada. Like they're good jobs. People work hard at them. People are really good at those jobs too. So it's not just like, oh, this is a crappy thing that they have to do. It's like some people actually like serving people really well. Some people actually like being really great cooks or really great dishwashers or really great bussers. So I hate that. That being said, it tends to be a larger number of transient people who are not committed to that business long-term. So you have more turnover. You have a lot more risk of... And that's a large business. So you're going to have...
1: I think they said they swelled to 100 during the busy season. Yeah, Yeah.
0: which means there's more opportunities for someone to not show up for work, Mm. you know, for someone who to decide, no, you know, I quit that job, which means somebody's got to fill those shoes. Wild Tomato probably has enough revenue that they can overstaff to fill that spot. But that's one of those things. They're not a bar. So you don't have as much of the, I mean, they have beer and wine, but they don't have the same aspect of that a bar has where you're going to have as rampant of potential for an alcohol and drug issue. All restaurants have a higher rate of that, Mm -hmm. but a bar especially. So you're taking that off the table compared to like my husband's things. There's food costs, there's ebb and flow, there's consistency things. Restaurants, it's really important to maintain the same consistency from one location to another. And when you have a lot of transient staff, that becomes difficult. But what they've done, and they seem to recognize that, they're not looking to run this and be in the kitchen all the time. They wanna nurture this business and keep the people that were already there and maintain that status quo and hopefully improve upon it where it needs it is what they were saying. And one of those examples is that, that they said, Matthew Sigorak said, Hey, we we closed on it December twenty eighth. Three days later is New Year's Eve, one of the busiest days for a pizza restaurant anywhere. And we operated just the same. And people who have been in there in the week since they're like, oh, what's gonna happen? Oh, it already turned there's already no ownership and they're like, Oh, it's still the same place. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to see rebranding. They're not going to see the place ripped apart and turned into something else. What they said is they seem to really respect the business that was built by by Britt Unkiffer and his wife and his ex wife at the time, and what was created with Wild Tomato, and they just want to nurture it forward. So another case where sort of best case scenario for the local community. These are it's a family with with ties here that wants to be here and improve the community. So. Phew.
1: <laughs> right like, i am really impressed that you as soon as i asked that question i was thinking this could be a long podcast <laughs> but i am really impressed by how you summarized exactly what they could be expecting when they walk into the restaurant i mean it also brings up like how do you even keep how do you even maintain the quality week to week if you have a lot of so many t- different people right yeah I and mean,
0: when i had a pizza place it was it's embarrassing to say but like if I was in the kitchen, it was a different product than some other people. Of course. You know, like, that, how
1: could it not be, right?
0: Um, and so that's hard. It's really hard. And I don't know how the ones who do it well do it. Like, mm. I have so much respect for the restaurant owners up here who can be a little removed from it. And they don't have to be on top of every single thing. And it still comes out great. Like, I was never able to do that. So, they, they like, it, it is a hard thing to do. It's a special skill to have. And they're able to do it. And then also, they have scale. Where they can have someone else doing some of the, the business stuff and that's something we've grown fortunate in here a big key to the pulse of success is someone like ben Podest, our business manager mm-hmm. who is also the guy who if anybody ever stops by our office he's the first face they see so we are lucky enough that we have a guy who's really good at talking to people and being an ambassador for our, our company at the front door and answering the phones but also has incredible skills as a business manager so that dave and i and you can focus on the journalism and the creativity part. Because otherwise, I mean, if I had to do the the books and the payroll every day, this business would be crap.
1: <laughs> or even So just ben, yeah. ben
0: really is the backbone that allows us to do the other things that we care about well. And I think that's, I've probably said this on the podcast before, but I talked to a banker once who said like, if you're getting into business, one of the most important things you've got to ask yourself and that we as a, it was a little bit of a different bank and lending corporation. But when we have a business coming to us for a loan, we say, what do you hate to do and what are you worst at? And then the people are like embarrassed to answer it. It's like, no, I answer it honestly, because if you don't figure that out, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. So you get into a pizza restaurant because you love making pizza, not because you love doing payroll. Sure. You know, and, or, or checking your HVAC system. So you got to make sure you have a way. doesn't mean you have to learn how to do that, but it means you have to have a solution for it.
1: Yeah, right. I'm um, glad you brought up Ben. We never talk about Ben, We never ben, talk about Ben, but he's he pretty is, crucial here. He's very crucial. <laughs> I mean, he's like our front gate guy, you know? I mean, there is just no getting past him, which um, which I love, but he, he's very personable he's about really it. He's really good at being
0: like, Deb's really busy today. I'm yes, not sicking <laughs> this random question on her. But he's, all, I mean, there's so many things that happen in this office and so many things we're a part of, whether it be like things like the posters and books we yes. sell. Or somebody's got a question about a classified or somebody has a question. Hey, I want a copy of that magazine. My dad was in it. The fact that all those things stop at his desk and don't trickle, it, like just getting something in the mail might distract us for an hour that we yep. could be investigating a story. Right. I mean, it's, it's so important.
1: Yes. Good, good advice.
0: Is there any other businesses we want? Oh, yeah.
1: A contactless motel. Oh, yes. I forgot about <laughs> that. There is a new kind of business model for a motel, as I understand, coming to Fish Creek. And it was the By the Bay Motel. And right in the
0: middle of the town, across from the beach. Across from the
1: right? beach. It's a beautiful location. You probably, it's just a couple doors down from Blue Horse Cafe, so yeah. it's on that side of the road. Really, really awesome location. But it's those most forefront buildings So there are three of them, and one of them was a house that the former owners used to live in, the Kohlers. Okay. So they lived in that house, and now they're the new owners. It's two couples. They are renovating down to the studs that house and turning it into kind of a luxury rental, and the other two buildings, which are the motel units, like a 14 and a... 15 and 11. Don't hold me to that. It's in the paper. It's in this week's paper. But they have a... You've got to
0: read the paper. The I know, physical I know, paper. I know. Yes, to the actual the physical paper. Story.
1: Or go on digital. But no, I'm sorry. They have a total of 15 rooms. That's it. So it's a 7-8 split. So they're completely renovating the entire thing. But they're not going to have a front desk. They are simply going to have everybody do it the way that you do it if you go to an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I never have any contact with the people that I rent a place from when I stay at an Airbnb. And so that is very much like what it's going to Wait, be. Wait, you stay at
0: Air- Airbnbs, you stay at them? So you're taking housing from
1: people? There. I have, but not in Door <laughs> County <laughs> <laughs> In other communities. And, and <laughs> it is funny, is, all of us
0: travel places. Where know, we're like, God, oh, I would like to find, that's a really cool house. Let's stay at that house. No, <laughs> Air- Airbnb is terrible here though. Anyway.
1: <laughs> it is, yes. Apparently it is the only contactless motel in Dora County or the first. And that's how the owners are talking about it. And I don't know every single hotel property in Dora County to know which ones may or may not have a front desk, but I would suspect that they are accurate in that because it is not common to not have a front desk. At a hotel or a motel. Yeah. So anyway, they're completely renovating this property, making it a contactless experience. So yeah, that's going to happen this season.
0: I'd imagine it's, it's interesting.
1: I know. because
0: it, It's just, it's basically the Airbnb model. Yes. And there are places up here that sort of operate like that. We just don't call them motels. We just call them condo developments. But like there are several of these like 12 to 14 unit places in the Sister Bay area Fish Creek area, where they're just built as condos, but they're all like maybe not all of them, but most of these places end up becoming vacation rentals.
1: And they're inns though, right? No, I mean, they're, they're
0: okay. No, there's no office. There's yeah, no, they're just um, like
1: condo vacation rentals. There's no
0: common area in a lot of these. Yeah. So think of the the development across from the Sister Bay Marina more or less functions like that. The condos on the top of the hill in Sister Bay more or less function like that. I would bet a good chunk of the condos in County that were built 40 years ago now function in that way and that the people rent them out unless they have, like, restrictions on whether or not you can do short-term rentals in them. So it's similar to that, and it is a way – and this it actually is – this motel is, like, a motel version of the issue that people have with short-term rentals, right? There's nobody on-site monitoring the guests the way there would be at the landmark or a traditional hotel where now – The complaints about that, if you don't have a front desk, the complaints go to the town or the village not to the front desk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It'd be interesting.
1: Well, for these two couples, one of the couples owns a company up here that services short-term rental properties, and mm. they also own a short-term rental in Sister Bay. Okay. So they would actually be the ones who are here, you know, Got fielding it. that kind of stuff. So it, it, it definitely it's not remote ownership trying right. this concept out. They don't live here; they live in West Bend. Both of the couples, but. They have been in the hospitality industry up here for quite some time.
0: All right. So that's the scoop on the new restaurants, the transportation utility district. I did manage to keep Deb here longer. We're at the 33-minute mark, which is longer than we meant to I'll go. I'll call
1: you from the ditch. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and I, I'll be stuck in a ditch of my own <laughs> on my way to pick up my kids. But thank you all for listening once again. Thank you, Deb, for taking thank the you. time to do this. And good luck and out. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com.